Hello, I am Panos Kodzathanasis, and this is ASEAN Movie Pulse Interviews. I am here with Earl Jackson, uh, one uh, of the most likable academics of Asian cinema in the world. <laughs> nice to have you here, Earl. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. That's a lovely introduction. I really like that very much. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Okay, great, great. So to begin with, you are now teaching in Taiwan, right? Yes, yes. I've been in Taiwan now uh, almost 10 years. And I was seven years in Korea before that. So mm -hmm. Asia is essentially my home, right? And, and you know, I'm, I'm mostly involved in Japanese cinema, so I go to Japan whenever I want to. So I, I, do, I feel far more at home in Asia than I do in the United States. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, what are you teaching exactly? What is your subject? Um, well, my my PhD is in comparative literature, but I, I've been mostly doing uh, film studies and especially Japanese film, uh, which is my major focus, I think. Yeah. But I also do Korean film, but because of the long time I was in Korea, but Japanese film is, is definitely my focus. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And can you tell me a bit about the National Chao Tung University? What is the situation there? Mm. Well, um, I'm actually retired from National Jiao Dong University. Uh -huh. um, what's interesting is that, um, you know, I was at the university, uh, I was at Korea National University of the Arts in Korea as a visiting professor. And then I was up for a uh, permanent job there. I, I'm retired from the University of California, Santa Cruz. I was tenured there, but I left when Bush was reelected. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So, so um, I got a, uh, there was some trouble at uh Korean National University of Arts. So I applied for a um, visiting professorship at Jowda, I mean, at National Jowda University. And um, the first year was fantastic. And so they created a uh, position for me. So I was there um, for six years. And then now I've retired from there. And I'm now at Asia University in Taichung, which is in central Thailand, which is central Taiwan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And okay, what what would you say are the most significant differences between students in the U.S. and students in Korea and Taiwan? Well, um, students in the U.S. are very entitled. They definitely feel that they have a kind of uh, uh, that we we need to listen to them whether they've earned it or not. And the Korean students are um, really uh, gung-ho, but they really feel like they need to earn your attention. Uh, in Taiwan, people are a little bit shyer. Uh, I had wonderful experiences at Da. I, I was really lucky to get the students I did. In fact, two of my students are in Fulbright doing PhDs in America. And then one of my students is actually completing his, uh, his uh, MFA at, uh, in Woods in the Polish uh, you know, Film Institute. And he's He's making films. He even he had a documentary at, at uh, in Japan recently. So uh, so in other words, I've been really blessed with some great students. And mm -hmm. I really feel my favorite uh, phrase in English is a is a conversation in progress. And uh, when I have students that that uh, can engage in that conversation, I'm very happy. I certainly had that in California. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, as I was reading your uh, CV yesterday, I saw that you also played in the Korean movie in Barbie. Yeah, you have my CV? Uh, <laughs> a kind of, a kind of, what I could oh. find. I actually constructed one from the info on the web. About oh. <laughs> oh. 
So how was well, that experience? Yeah, it was great. Now, see, I'm I'm friends with Isangwu. Uh, we met in a funny way, and then we were always friends. And then we were really, really drunk in uh, Busan <laughs> Film Festival. Uh, no surprise. And during that time, I said, "Put me in one of your movies sometime." And I forgot <laughs> about it. But then he called me and he said, "You know, uh, I have a perfect role for you. Where you get on this plane and you're going to start filming the minute you get off the plane." And we did. Now, since I'm mostly just in film theory. I really felt I really needed hands-on experience too. So I've also worked as a film editor, as a screenwriter, then this actor and a line producer. And boy, it's a different experience. I'm really glad I had that experience. And being the villain in Barbie was fantastic. I mean, it was really great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah. would you say that is the dream of all uh, people who deal with cinema but are not actually in movies to, to at some point be in a movie? I don't know. I mean, I'm glad I did it. I, mm. I, it didn't. I didn't get hit by the acting bug at all. You mm -hmm. know, but I was really glad I did it, and I was glad for the kind of technical um, peculiarities because, for example, we did one scene on the beach, and the, the director wanted a certain mood. So we shot it that way. But after it was over, he he wanted a different mood. So we we actually I had to dub myself with a different mood. And in the studio, I had these headphones on, and the director is talking to me in my ear in English on this side, and the sound technician is talking to me on this side in Korean. And I was thinking, this is really cinema, you know. This is <laughs> this is the technology. This is the technological subject I talk about, but it's for real, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, okay, that's great. And um, I'm not sure if it's a recent one, but I see you are kind of obsessed with Yasuzo Masumura. Is that yep. re recent or an old? Uh... Masumura Yasuzo, yeah, he's my he's my guy for sure. Him and Kawashima Yuzo, I could talk about them forever. I won't bore you, but um, Masumura is it's a great it's a great accident. I was when I was living in San Francisco. Uh, I bought an, a used uh, laser disc player from a, mm -hmm. a shop that just did laser disc, and the guys behind the desk said, "Oh, we we're running this laser disc, but we really want to start our own DVD company, and we've been trying to get the rights to Masamura's films from Daie, but nobody's answering us." And I said, "Well, I'll help." So I wrote the letters to Daie and negotiated, and they got the rights to five mm -hmm. uh, five Masamura films, and then I did some of the subtitles. I did the Uh, background on it. This was Fantoma Films. And um, that's how I got into Masamura. So we really actually introduced Masamura to the United States. Now I do stuff like that for Arrow. But this was way back in, I don't know, 2000 or so, when it, the first time we got Masamura into the States. I think it's really important that people know that there's something beyond Ozu and Kurosawa, whom I adore also. But it, uh, Japanese Uh, film canon is so large and so rich that every year I feel like the year before I didn't know enough to talk about Japanese cinema. You know, when I look back at teaching Japanese cinema in California in the 90s, I feel ashamed of myself because, you know, it was just the tip of the iceberg, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, what is your opinion of the Japanese movie industry at the moment? Do you follow it more or less? Uh, I follow it, but uh, I like the older stuff, really. Um, I mean, I, I love Kurosawa Kiyoshi. I I really revere Aoyama Shinji, who unfortunately passed away recently. 
but I don't get as excited as I do about some of the older things. You know, I don't know if it's just a function of my age, but I just feel like there was more, this is going to sound like a terrible word, but more sincerity, more like extreme sincerity in earlier Japanese cinema than today. But I think that's true for a lot of places in the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, what, how do you feel that let's say, the audience has changed through the, through the decades, people who go to the cinema? Well, I think that um, the idea that you can watch a, phone, a, a film on your phone is a, is a sin. You know, that the idea that people, some people have actually never go to the cinema and have that big screen in front of them anymore. You know, I, I need that. I absolutely need that. And, um, you know, I had, I have one colleague who taught um, Oz's um, uh, Tokyo story and his kids not only watched it on their cell phones, but they said, oh, this, this film wasn't so bad because we, we fast forward. You know, that to me is, you know, it, that is really a crime against humanity. Um, I do think that this the um, the spectatorial situation of being in the dark, immobilized, and giving yourself up to a giant image is somehow profound because I don't think it's an accident that movies started around the same time that Freud wrote Interpretation of Dreams. I think that that is a zeitgeist that um, needs to be respected. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, okay. And uh, do, do you feel that this is a problem with the audience or with the movies? Well, your question was about the audience. I mean, I think that is the, the mm. audience that has chosen to make the, the, spectator, the spectatorial situation convenient mm -hmm. is an attitude that I can't, um, I, I can't understand. Now, I'm, I'm saying this descriptively. I don't really think it's my my position to boss people around but i'm saying that if you watch movies on the, on the phone you have not had the experience that i'm talking about when i'm talking about cinema mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. essentially what i wanted to ask even in cinemas nowadays you see a lot of people at some point you know pu putting out their phones and you know yeah, checking their phones during, during the movie and i'm uh, furious and i'm furious. always thinking if that is a problem with the audience or with the movie is the like can the movie captivate you or the movies aren't given a chance you know i mean you know how quickly they open up the phone you know mm -hmm. um you know and i mean there are participatory events you know i spent quite a bit of time in india and i spent some time in central india in hyderabad and i went to the a, a matinee in this little town called gachiboli um where you know you walk in it's two o'clock in the afternoon and it's a, it seats 1200 people and it's made of stone and everybody's so excited about the movie that they all start dancing with the songs even though it's brand new and they couldn't possibly know the songs and then when they like the songs they would ask the projectionist to replay which Ooh. i didn't even know it was technically possible so th this three-hour movie turns into like a four-hour 20-minute movie and it was a fantastic experience i don't know a word of telugu but it was wonderful, you know? So that's, that I can forgive, you know, like checking, checking your Facebook during, you know, the restoration print of Psycho is unforgivable to me, you know? Well, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess Indian audience is still a bit different than the rest, aren't they? Well, yeah, I was explaining that. I mean, I'm talking about very different, you know, communicative, I mean, different situations. And in India, I, I thought that was fantastic. 
but mm -hmm. in you know like new york city if people are checking their messages during a film yeah that, that is unforgivable and i think that's also just about civility you know the techno the techno society has really undermined human decency and civility i think and but i mean as a cinephile i find that absolutely unbelievable mm -hmm. unfortunately in korea no well in korea people will tell you stop you know so they didn't do that especially when i would go to places like the cinema tech they don't do that and certainly the uh, wonderful uh retro uh film theaters in japan no one would think about doing it uh like at laputa um or at cinema vera the people who go there are cinephiles you know and we'll we'll be there like for three screenings you know and then we have mm -hmm. like we have little lunches outside we don't know each other but we've really bonded and not a single one of those people would ever dream of doing that mm -hmm. they're all about like my age though which are or, or older though you know these are <laughs> you know 70 year old people but um that's how you watch a movie you watch it with respect and being will in willingness to be enthralled mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how about the taiwanese audience um well uh it's a little bit because of COVID, it's been interrupted a bit but taiwanese audiences are pretty um civil you know the one of the great things about taiwanese people is that they really know how to line up you know cues are perfect i mean people always say cues and they behave themselves in public pretty well. I haven't had any of that phone thing, that mm -hmm. phone disturbance in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. But I, I've gone to the film, into the theaters a lot less in the last two years because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. And the, do people in Taiwan watch Taiwanese movies or foreign movies? More? For, foreign. foreign. I watch Taiwanese films, but yeah, most people watch foreign films. Mm. And it's the same in Japan and Korea, you'd say? It's changing a bit, but when I first was in Korea, I could not get my students to go to see a Korean film, you know. Really? Um, mm. But then at the Korean National University of Arts, we had a very close relationship with the Korean Film Archive, so we could actually go to the archives and get things out, you know. So that that was a privileged thing, and those graduate students, you know, were very serious, so they certainly watched them. But when I was first in, you know, I had a uh, film club in Santa Cruz while I was teaching there. And I, when I said, I'm going to show five Korean films, people th acted like I was like, what, why, you know, mm -hmm. that now, nowadays you that, that seems so alien that, that response, but you know, like in 1999, uh, nobody wanted to see them. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well, is it true what they say about the US audience that they can't handle subtitles or yes. <laughs> was that the problem? It was, yeah. Um, well, that, I mean, in my case, the, the students were okay. But oh, let me let, let me give you an example of like um, administrative prejudice, which I ran into um, way back in like 1994 or so. Uh, I, you know, I taught at the University of California, Santa Cruz, and we were divided up into colleges, and then we suddenly had each college, every person in the college had to do a informal class that's only for what one to three credits and we could design any course we wanted to so i just ended one on one car why you know if this is so the only thing he's had out this is up to the chunking express fallen angels period we're still on videotape right so i had a whole syllabus and i also explained you know it do things about martial arts with uh with um ashes of time and talk about the hong kong situation so I had that all in place for a two credit class. And the administration said no, because 
they they said that um, they think that uh, a single Chinese director would not have the intellectual merit to to uh, justify an entire mm. course, a two credit <laughs> course. Of course, and then the following year, you know, one of the big names at Berkeley decides to have a seminar on Wong Kar Wai, and that makes all the papers, right? But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, so and I'm this is what I'm doing right now is this uh, Chinese tradition called speaking bitterness. It's a kind of formal narrative complaint. That's what, but I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, uh, you just have to be a pioneer, you know, and and remember these things, but keep moving. Mm -hmm. Now everybody would line up for Wong Kar Wai, but back then they just thought I was crazy. So yeah. I did it anyway with, with for no credit. I just showed the films every Tuesday night. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then how were people there or? <laughs> yeah, I, I started getting a following and then I then my film club became you know really famous in northern california i did it for 10 years mm -hmm. well, that's great that's that was great. really fun mm -hmm. uh, one other thing that strikes me as odd in the interviews i have with asian filmmakers is when i ask them about their inspiration or if they admire a filmmaker almost mm -hmm. no one mentioned any filmmaker from their countries they're all about yeah. nouvelle vague and you know some yeah, americans is it this yeah. situation? They don't know like film history in Asian countries? Like, mm. Well, you know, I read a lot of the writings of Kurosawa Kiyoshi, and he does credit um, people like Nakagawa Nobuo mm -hmm. uh, and even, uh, and also uh, Honda Ichiro. He, he really considers them very important, as I do too. Uh, I think he's the first person I've seen that really does it. Also, you know, Ishii, I mean, Miike Takashi wrote an interesting book, actually, a long time ago, although no one seems to know that. And it's called Director Addiction. And he lists every uh, director. You know, he was he was an assistant director for Imamoto Shohei. But he lists even really obscure directors that have meant something to him. So he he's actually very versed in uh, Japanese film history. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so there are there are some exceptions, yeah. Mm -hmm. And would you say that makes their cinema more local? Or... I would hope so. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm all for local cinema. Cinema, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the the global only makes sense if it's global from something, right? And mm -hmm. uh, one of the words I hate more than anything else is universal. When somebody says this is universal. I almost get a tick in my face because <laughs> what that means is uh, we think that what we've experienced is universal, right? I think that the things should be local and specific and we talk across and through differences. We don't erase them through some kind of bland fruit cocktail called universal. And one of the greatest things about Japanese, Japanese uh, cinema is it's not universal, right? You need to know about, you know, Gencon and stuff. Or with the Taiwanese cinema, I saw, I can think of this great example. Do you know um, Sammy Nang's film, Visage? You know, it, it was shot in France, but then partially in um, in Taipei. And, you know, um, Fanny Ardan comes to Taiwan and there's a scene where she's just sitting in a dimly lit room and she picks up a piece of fruit. You can hardly see it. But when she bites it, I know immediately it's this fruit called Lianwu. Uh, mm -hmm. I think in English it's called uh, bell fruit or wax apple. But um, the sound of the crunch is completely known to everybody in Taiwan. The mm -hmm. minute you hear that crunch, you know, oh, that's Lianwu. 
And so the the localism of Taiwan cinema is one of them that I feel most viscerally, um, especially with somebody like Ho Chao Chen, because uh, I've lived in places that are sort of like his environments and uh, the meaning of these films, um, you feel them. And, and that's exactly what I don't want uh, them to be universal. Uh, not that they should be so arcane that people give up on them, but that the, they're speaking from a specific position, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, do you feel that this is an issue with the representation of Asian cinema in the West? Because I feel particularly the movies we see in festival circuit, let's say, they look, for me, at least too much like European films. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And also somebody like, you know, like when Im Quantek became uh, really famous in the West, uh, and I love his films, although the films that I really love his, you'll never see. Um, but the ones that he did, like, you know, when he got so famous, um, Cahiers de Cinema started sending people to him when he's editing films to make sure that they looked French enough. Oh, really? Yeah, that was mm -hmm. towards the end. I'm probably not supposed to say that on tape, but... It was shocking, shocking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Okay, well, well, now that you mentioned him, what, what is your opinion of him, Quantic? I feel that he's a big, ambiguous, ambiguous person in Korean. That's Korea. because you've seen his later work. His early stuff is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, he has a, a, an Asian Western called um, Eagle in the Wilderness mm -hmm. um, that is about a Japanese soldier that kills an entire a Korean family in Manchuria, but saves the little boy. The little boy is raised as a Japanese soldier until mm -hmm. he finds out that the truth of his origin. It's an amazing film. And I don't think it's been shown anywhere outside of Korea. Uh, mm -hmm. He has several of those kind of things. Mm -hmm. He has another one where a guy gets his arm cut off and he's put it in a barrel and thrown in the sea and <laughs> survives. <laughs> this called, it's snowing on the, it's, oh yeah, it's snowing on the street of bitterness. Mm -hmm. uh, these are really fantastic films, but they wouldn't, they would be unintelligible to Cahiers de Cinema. So, so, mm -hmm. so we get, you know, ones that are sort of marketed, there's a kind of marketed Korea that's, that's more palatable. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, the work done by the Korean Film Archive to remedy what you mentioned is really tremendous, isn't it? It's wonderful. Yes. It's one of the greatest gifts to the world uh, and they're so generous with it it's just amazing yeah mm -hmm. but why do you think they managed to do something like that and the japanese don't for example well the japanese have a certain more sense of privacy and decorum and and they want something for what they have you know <laughs> uh, i'm going to be extremely diplomatic here okay <laughs> okay but but what but one of the other great stories we have is um in the, the Taipei Film Institute, um, my colleague from Korean National University, Kim So-young, suspected that this lost film called Sadness Even in Heaven, that was made in 1964, she felt that there might be a copy in Taiwan. So she came to Taiwan with the possible Chinese titles that they might have known. And we worked with the head of the the director of the Taipei Film Institute, who took us out to a warehouse and we put, put a film on a flat screen and it turned out to be the lost film. It turned out to be mm -hmm. um, uh, Sadness Even in Heaven. 
and we waited with bated breath to make sure it wasn't dubbed and wasn't it had chinese subtitles and it was in pretty good condition so the taipei film institute donated it to the korean film institute and then i because i was there when they discovered it uh, i was brought to the institute for the premiere and the director was still alive and some of the tech people were still alive the other the um cast were, had all since passed away but it was just an amazing thing to see this and to watch the director's face see his incredibly moving film after he thought it had been lost forever it had been lost for 40 years and mm -hmm. it turns out that it would have been shown in taiwan uh and they just forgot to send it back thank god mm. <laughs> you know, so these things happen Okay, okay. But I also feel that uh, the Taiwanese government, or I'm not sure which organization is exactly, they are also promoting Taiwanese cinema lately quite intently. Yes, and mm -hmm. Taiwanese cinema is really fascinating because they, they'll use like a kind of popular culture idiom to, to do very serious things. There's some that are sort of art house, like uh, The Great Buddha Plus, which is a fantastic film, and, and its sequel, um, Classmate Minus. But things like um, uh, there's a film called uh, David Lohmann, which is a, a gangster comedy. But remember, a lot of these films are both in Mandarin and Taiwanese language. Mm -hmm. The Taiwanese language is not similar to Mandarin at all, uh, but it constantly undermines the seriousness of Mandarin. Of course, this this is lost in English subtitles. Um, or it, like there's a, in Ho Shaoshen's um, uh day uh, time to live and time to die it's in hakka taiwanese and mandarin and of course all the subtitles are just in english so you don't understand what the communication difficulties are among the characters mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but um but the taiwanese do you know then um then um if or like um ho Xiao shen's film the assassin had this very interesting uh error and it so if, if you ever go into a screening of assassin you'll know if there's Taiwanese speakers in the audience, because remember there's a uh, Japanese actor, uh, I, th I can't think of his name. Um, there's a Japanese actor in, in it, and he would say the main character's name. Uh, it's like Nia. I don't want to, uh, there's a reason I'm not going to say it, but the way he would say it uh, is exactly like a terrible, terribly obscene Taiwanese phrase. Mm -hmm. It would mean something, do this to your mother. And it sounded exactly like that in Taiwanese. So <laughs> he took out he they took out every scene where he said her name except one. They forgot. So uh -huh. at the end, when when they reunited, he yells it across the field. So of course, Mandarin speakers don't know. So if you're ever in the theater and you see somebody scream or jump, it means they're Taiwanese. Uh, uh, okay. So. But do they laugh with the fact or no they're just they're just kind of what why did he say that you're like uh -huh, uh -huh. we didn't know they had the obscenity in the tang dynasty you know uh -huh, so, uh -huh. so okay yeah. what is the situation with uh, censorship in movies right now it's taiwan is it okay or no not at I, all i don't i'm not aware of any censorship in taiwan now uh -huh. right you know martial law was lifted quite a while ago and it, there's nothing i don't think Sometimes, uh, like, uh, there was a while that, you, you know, there was a quota on how many films from the mainland could be brought in, mm -hmm. commercially distributed, but that hasn't really been an issue lately. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I haven't seen any examples of censorship here. 
And uh, so far as I understand, uh, Taiwanese cinema has just recently started dealing with the whole white terror period. Yes. 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 Well, uh, remember, Ho Shan was the first person who did it immediately after martial law was lifted with uh, Good Men, Good Women. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's been several films and um, one of them is called Detention and it's actually based on a video game. So it's extremely clever, but the video game really um, sort of turns the normal experience of kids in high school under martial law into a, a ghost story. So it's, it's dealing with a lot of things is extremely ambitious. Yeah. Um, also boyfriend girlfriend is a really good example of of three generations of Taiwanese it takes these kids from high school all the way to about 20 2010 and the other thing that's very interesting about it is while they're right radical kids in high school under the suppression they all speak Taiwanese to each other but as they grow up in compromise the Taiwanese language disappears, and the guy that's the super capitalist absolutely speaks no Taiwanese again. Um, but again, that's sort of lost, you know. But these kind of things happen. I mean, that is a constant atmosphere in uh, here in Taiwan. It's a, it's a it's a linguistic reality in Taiwan constantly. Mm -hmm. But uh, do you think that people in Taiwan deal with this trauma caused by the white terror or they just don't talk about it that much? They do now. They do, they do now. I mean, I would never bring it up to older people unless they brought it up first. But um, also Taiwanese literature. There's a wonderful collection of uh, short stories by a Taiwanese writer named C.J. Anderson uh, called Hard to Swallow. And she deals in great detail with uh, both uh, white terror and um, the familial memories of what happened. And she, she wrote it in English. I highly recommend it. So that's that's the kind of um, facing up to things that happens in Taiwan cinema now. Mm -hmm. And to get a bit political, if that's okay with you, yeah. <laughs> what is the situation now with uh, China? How do people feel about what is going on in Taiwan? I mean... uh, China's a big problem. I mean, that's an understatement. Um, the other thing too is, you know, when Russia um, invaded Ukraine, many people here were worried that that would be China's signal to invade us. Uh, it's not clear that that wouldn't happen, but, um, you know, and the idea that so many people won't even recognize Taiwan as a country is a problem. You know, there's a, I think there's only one a uh, country that does Paraguay, and maybe they've actually recanted now. I'm not sure that, that anybody has a has an actual embassy here. You know, the the, the even the United States has a, a what they call an information center here, which mm -hmm. is essentially an embassy without calling it that. So yeah, it's a problem, uh, and China is a big bully. And obviously, if I you know if you broadcast this, I'm not getting a China visa, but I'm not expecting one anyway. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, so not that they really pay attention to me. But uh, yeah, but the other thing that's interesting, you know, I, having lived in Taiwan and having lived in Korea, I lived in places where the question of nation is always a question. You know, it's not presumed, you know. Uh, that's, I think, very important. Mm -hmm. um, I think of Taiwan as a country. I think of Taiwan as a very complex uh, system. Remember, we also have... 16 recognized indigenous language communities here too. Uh, mm -hmm. So it, it's um, 
really, really fascinating place, and I need to learn more. But uh, I'm I find it um, really, really interesting, and and you know the any of the the kind of performance traditions that flourished in the mainland that were that um, vanished after the Cultural Revolution are all here and all preserved. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of reasons to uh, take Taiwan very seriously as its own culture, as it's as actually as its own nest of cultures. Mm -hmm. But uh, what I felt talking to people from Taiwan and uh, other countries, like maybe even Singapore and other countries, let's say th there is a pessimism about what is going to happen with China, that at some point Absolutely. it's going to take over and they yeah. all kind of believe that, that they cannot do anything. Well, yes. I mean, if China decided, I mean, we would last, you know, 18 minutes probably, but we have to continue to live, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was when I lived in uh, Korea. I lived in a section of Seoul that was next to a military academy, and they even told us in our apartment building that our apartment building was the number one target from North Korea. <laughs> you know, that that they had forty-two missiles at our in pointed at our address. I mean, these are things you live with, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh I, it makes an impression to me that you say we, you oh, identify exactly. as Taiwanese now. <laughs> no, no, I would never be that, I'm never that, that white guy. No, but I mean, I live here, it's my, I'm a permanent resident and I, I feel very at home here. Yeah. And if China invaded, I think I wouldn't, I wouldn't just flee, you know, I, I, I'm committed to being here, you know, mm -hmm. what happens to people happen to me too. And what was the situation there during COVID? We had a number of stories. Also, there is the embargo from uh, World Health Organization to Taiwan still, right? So yeah. they didn't have access to so much as other That's countries. Right. So how was the yeah. situation? That was hard uh, because Taiwan actually bought a lot of the uh, Pfizer vaccine really early. And then China talked Germany into breaking the contract and we didn't get it. It took us a long time to get a uh, vaccine. Now we do have the Pfizer also, but um, for a long time, anytime we tried to do something, the uh, Chinese would block the uh, the ability to get the vaccines. Um, but the Japanese were actually came through really well. The Japanese donated uh, a lot of the Moderna to Taiwan right away and more than once, uh, which I thought was really sort of wonderful. Now, now we now everybody is has full access to uh, all the vaccines here, and we're all fully vaccinated. But it was amazing, and it was also amazing how people at, at H WHO wouldn't even mention Taiwan when asked. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, China really has an iron grip on the rest of uh, public opinion. I mean, official public uh, venues for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess we could close. Okay, I hear, I read a lot of the stories that you put on Facebook and you have some amazing ones from your years in Asia and dealing with filmmakers and actors and whatnot. So let's close with one story. Do you have one that you would like to share, let's say? Which one? I mean... Yeah, I will I leave it to you. <laughs> one well, story say, that you would uh, like to share. I, I can't think. Two of them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. All right. So, no problem. No problem. Yeah. Okay, I guess that's it. Thank you very much, sir, for your time.
Okay, thanks. It's great to see you again. We had a great time in, in Warsaw, remember? In Warsaw, yeah, yeah. I, I also read that student of yours that you mentioned, he's in Lutz, right? We, yes, we he's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Has I've he graduated seen. or is he still? Um, he's doing a master's now, like a, an academic master's as well. And, but he, he's done all of his uh, film work, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and he's still there. And, you know, he's, he's really, I'm so proud of him. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, okay. Let me share a story then. But when we met him a few days ago, we were on a trip to Lutz, and uh, what they mentioned the teachers there is that they are, they are not like good teachers. They are not kind and polite people. They tell you to your face if you are wrong. And so I asked your student how if that is true, and he said that indeed they are like that, and that he loves it. The fact that they tell if you are completely awful they just say to you oh, this sucks you know stop do something else so yeah i guess that's that's a good thing to have yeah well actually i think he wouldn't mind me telling this story when he was at uh Jauda, when i was his teacher he had a terrible uh time coming to class he was skipping so much that the chair asked his mother to come in to find out what's wrong with him and i identified because i skipped school all the time <laughs> and I thought his mother could speak German. You know, she speaks Mandarin and German. So I said, oh, well, I'll talk to her. And so um, we made the rancher and I talked to her in German about, uh, about her son. And then the more I thought about him, I thought, you know, I think he needs to go to Woods. So we agreed to like not punish him for not showing up for classes. And I made the deal that, you know, you should... Um, Occasion come to class, but I will help you if you try to go to Poland to become a filmmaker. And he said, okay. And he got in, you know, that, that entrance exam is just unbelievably difficult mm -hmm. and he's really flourishing. So I'm glad as a fellow school skipper, I recognized in him that there was something really great about his not coming to class. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, that's a lesson for us students across the world now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, that's it. Thank you very much. Very nice okay, thank you, Carlos. Okay, yeah, thank you. Have a nice yeah. time. Bye. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.